Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by the Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Hey, everyone. Today on Tapping Into the Human, we have another amazing guest. We have Chelsea, who has actually become a friend of mine. We actually met through David Poses, and we share a lot of similarities. She lost a loved one just like I did, and she made a podcast to honor her dad, just like I made this podcast to honor Reed. She is the host of the Sticky Eddie podcast, um, and it is a fantastic podcast. So if you haven't listened, I highly recommend you do that. Um, and it really explores um, her relationship with her father, which was special and amazing and addiction um, and how it affects those who are uh, afflicted by this disease. So um, I really just want to thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming on today and appreciate all that you're doing in this space. Um, thank you so much for that super gracious introduction. I really appreciate it. And I'm honored to be here. Um, I guess we both have our loved ones on the brain. Actually, as you you and I were just discussing, the one year anniversary of me losing my dad um, just approached on December 23rd. And as painful as it is, I took a moment really to reflect on everything that's been accomplished um, in the past year and everything that I've learned. And I know that you and I have that in common. So yeah, um, my dad suffered with alcoholism. Um, he started very, very early in life. I think the first drink that he had was probably at the age of nine. Really? Yeah. <laughs> my dad was a boomer. He was born in 1951. Um, yeah. So there, you know, parents had a lot of cocktail parties and things back in the in the late 50s and early 60s. I don't know what the supervision level was like um, back then. Probably not a lot. <laughs> Probably not very good. Not not the helicopter parents um, that I know my husband and I are today. But yeah, so he started very early in life. And, um, and always had a passion for art and music, and he was a drummer. So that is why the podcast is called the Sticky Eddie Podcast. He used the name Sticky professionally to represent the two drumsticks. Uh, and he was just a, a cool cat like that. So um, in honor of my dad, I have been on a journey of learning about addiction and all of its layers, how it affects family members and loved ones, and really how we can better support those who suffer because meeting people with judgment never works. And I am living proof of that. And that is the basis for the show. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I actually, so when we met, I listened, I think it was a couple of months ago to the first episode of the podcast of yours. Um, and it really was so well done. Um, the way you speak is amazing, but the thing that struck me the most was um, how you told it like a story, like you described the sky and what the day was like when you found out. Um, and I thought that that was really well done, but like I could I, sort of shivers down my spine, like I could really feel that that day and and everything surrounding that. And the other thing that um, struck me, too, was um how nice of a relationship you had with your dad, which sounded really, really special. I mean, I know 
my relationship with Reed was like that too. But um, can you talk sort of a little bit about what you were talking about on that podcast, you know, your relationship with your dad and um, when you eventually found out he passed and sort of what that experience was like? Because I know you talk a lot about grief on your podcast, which is not something I've actually really talked about on this one. And I'd like to sort of talk about that journey. And I'm sure a lot of people can unfortunately relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you. I'm so um, honored that you listened. That story, um, I had to write it down. And, and I'm glad that I did, because um, it helped me develop a narrative. And I, I'm realizing that it's very important in what we do, particularly when we talk about our loved ones on a consistent basis, we need to develop a narrative so that we're not constantly re-traumatizing ourselves. You have your story right. and you stick to it and um, it's a little easier to relate that way. Um, my dad, gosh, he was my best friend. From the moment I entered the world, he just consistently had my back. He was so much fun. Um, aside from being creative and a musician, he loved nature. And so I was hiking before I could even walk. I mean, he would strap me wow. on his back <laughs> and we were constantly out in the woods, but the sky, um, I mentioned a lot in my very first episode, the sky was a big deal for us. We were constantly looking at clouds and picking out animal shapes or, um, watching sunrises and sunsets. We just really bonded out in nature. And he would tell me stories about what it was like for him growing up. Um, he was just a really good dad. He really wanted to be a good parent, but most of all, we were just friends. We could talk about anything. And all my life, uh, the duality to our relationship came from his alcoholism. Um, you know, he was never violent or abusive. It just changed his personality. He could mm. become extremely just belligerent, annoying. Um, he was already a very gregarious presence, but it would just, it would get out of control and it would just be yeah. very obnoxious. And the personality changes caused a lot of conflict um, between my parents. And I was always worried that something would happen to him. Um, you know, God forbid that he would lose control behind the wheel of a car or something to that effect. I knew from a very early age that the alcohol changed him into a different person and I just um, could never handle it. Yeah. And my dad was the only person that I knew that I knew of that really there was just no vocabulary for it. And it was very quiet and hush hush. I didn't know anybody else who had parents that suffered this way. Right. I just had no terminology, no tools. I didn't know until after he passed away that as a loved one or a child of an alcoholic that you could go to meetings and right. sit in with, I had no idea that this sort of support existed. Um, so in the month leading up to my father's death, he and I were not doing well. Um, he had been in the hospital quite a few times due to alcohol-related problems. Um, he had DTs at one point. I mean, he was hallucinating to the point where he thought there were ninjas coming out of the trees to come and yeah. attack him. It was crazy. Yeah. But these are the, the things that the body goes through when you detox um, and on your own, which, as we know now, can kill you. Dangerous, exactly. Yes. Um, so he 
was becoming increasingly depressed at the onset of COVID, that we couldn't be together as much as, as he would like to. And yeah. um, he was also very close with my son. So it just, it bothered him that he couldn't always be around and that we had to be at a distance and there were no vaccines at the time. And it was just, um, for someone who's already depressed and struggling with alcoholism, it was the perfect storm. Yeah. Um, so around Thanksgiving, he quote unquote fell off the wagon again and started and picked up heavily. Um, I spoke to him a few days before Christmas. I think the last conversation that we had was December 20th. And I was just so bothered by his behavior, Alex. I was miserable and I just couldn't understand why why he would do this to himself. Exactly. Yeah. I kept blaming him like this is why can't you change? Why can't you stop? You right. have a family to live for. We love you so much. You're abusing yourself and it makes you into a person that no one wants to be around. So the last conversation that we had was extremely brief. Um, he sounded so sad and he was reminiscing a lot about his own family, you know, his parents growing up and things that had happened in his past. And I just didn't give him the platform. I was aggravated. I was too busy and I cut him short. I was like, all right, dad, you know, I gotta go. I love you. I just want to make sure that you were okay. And he said, I love you too, kiddo. And we hung up um, and I didn't speak to him again. On the 23rd, I was actually going, uh, I was working from home. But I got up early to go for a run like I normally do. And um, there's a track right outside my house. So as I'm rounding the top of the track, which is like on a hill, I just stopped dead. It looked like the sky was on fire. The pink of the sunrise, I've never seen anything like it. It was so majestic. Um, I took a picture of it, which I still have. And I just couldn't shake this feeling. It was weird because it was a feeling of wonder, mm. but it was also a really weird back of your mind feeling of like, it's uh, just ominous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I went to work, you know, I sat down at my computer and I logged in for the day and um, my mom called me about 3 p.m. And my parents were divorced, but they were best friends and they lived around the corner from each other. And she said, you know, have you spoken to your dad? No one's seen him in a couple of days. And his neighbors are complaining that there's like a weird smell in the hallway. And, you know, she's like, I just, I don't know what to do. And I was frustrated with my mom because I live a half an hour away. And I'm like, go, go check on, you know, make a phone call. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually called the police for some weird reason. Alex, I don't know why, because any other day, any other time, I would have just gotten in the car right away. Mm. I don't know what stopped me, but I called the police and asked them to do a wellness check. And part of me probably wanted him to be embarrassed because I assumed that he was fine, that he was just passed yeah. out. And that yeah. maybe the embarrassment of having the police like show up. out of using alcohol, yeah. Exactly. Um, but of course, um, as we know now, he was he had passed away. Um, when they did not call me back in about 20 minutes, I hopped in the car. Cause then I just knew, I, I just, you had that feeling knew. And I was halfway down the parkway when my husband called me and he told me and he confirmed and I just screamed 
I made a half an hour drive into a nine minute drive and I just blacked out, screamed the entire way. Um, and when I arrived at his home, they wouldn't let me in. He had been on his own for a few days, um, deceased. And so he, you know, obviously um, wasn't in the state to be viewed. Right which crushed me because I never got to see my dad ever again. Um, I didn't realize how bad it was until um, the day after Christmas when the funeral director called me and said, you know, I can't let you see him this way. You wouldn't want to, but um, you know, we'll take good care of him. And um, so, yeah, I just keep envisioning what it was like to have them take him away from the house. And I just see this, you know, this bag being taken yeah. away. And it's all you want to do is run and throw yourself at that person. Um, so that's what I miss. I miss the fact that I didn't get to say goodbye. Yeah. And just hope that he wasn't angry with me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't. And it's so, it's such a tough thing, right? Like, I can't think of another disease, right? Because we know that's what addiction is, where there's just so much blame and shame and I get it cause I've, I've done it too. Right. And it's just, it's just such a complex thing, right? Like when it comes to cancer, you're not mad at someone for having cancer. Not at all. You know, even if someone's a smoker and they have lung cancer, <laughs> not like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like right. it's just different. But it, when it comes to addiction, there is this, why are you doing this to yourself? And I know you and I are both, have both thought that and now realize, well, it's not, not as easy, right? It's a choice right at the beginning. And then shortly thereafter, once the person becomes addicted, it's, it's no longer a choice. Did you know that it was because your father died from al alcoholism? Did you know that it was as bad as it was? Like, did the doctors, because he said he was hospitalized the month before, like say to him and we just, you guys just didn't know it was like, he was on the brink of like passing away. Like, what was that like? No, I knew for years, Alex, um, he had been, he had a small stroke um, yeah. about two years prior and he couldn't, he, he regained his speech, thank God, but that was the scariest time. He, um, he had just detoxed so hard, it affected his speech and he couldn't talk for like almost three full weeks. I had to put him into a physical rehabilitation oh. center. It was horrific and there were and this is why I was so angry at the end um but I have to say even though I knew how bad his alcoholism had gotten in the last several years of his life there were looking back now of course you know hindsight is always perfectly crisp we I feel as though if I had said to him listen it's obvious that you're never going to fully stop, mm. but what can we do to make this, what can we do to reduce harm? That's like right. my new, my new favorite, yeah, my new favorite method. What can we do to make it so that perhaps you don't have to fully stop, but we need right. to make this more manageable or find a way to make your lifestyle more healthy. Exactly. So that you're not, you don't feel shamed if you have a drink because, you know, just at that point, there's just no stopping it. Right. And, and the more shame and guilt I made him feel, the more he would hide it or the more, the so harder he would. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, it was something that I was well aware of, and that's what made me so angry. But at the same time, I never bothered to do my own research and find out what tools I could acquire as a loved one to just be more helpful rather than hurtful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and obviously none of it is with intention and that's and that's the thing right now we look back and we're like okay what could we have done you know i didn't have the education however i think it's obviously commendable that you're doing what you're doing now because you've now learned so much and you can help so many other people who who just don't know i mean the crazy thing is i just think about it myself like legitimately uh up until eight nine months ago i didn't know that you could die from alcoholism right right <laughs> Who, who knew, right? I can guarantee you the vast majority of the American population doesn't actually know that, right? Because it's socially acceptable. It's the addiction that is, oh, well, it's not addiction. That person just drinks and goes to the bar, but like, it's it's something, it is the only drug that you can detox from that can actually kill you. You're not going to die from other withdrawal. That right. you can die from. That's how like we're putting this stuff in our body and we're saying it's socially acceptable it's just crazy. It goes to the stigma, right? That's, you know, I've seen in mine, I'm curious your thoughts too, like people who drink alcohol and are dealing with addiction, they're like here. And then people who deal with prescription drugs, they're like here. And people who deal with all other drugs are like down here. There's sort of like a hierarchy. Yes. And it's so, it, it is like you say, it's the strangest thing. Um, you are literally pouring ethanol down right. your throat essentially right. um and it's so the technical cause of my dad's death was a gastrointestinal bleed caused by cirrhosis of the liver mm. and um in the last couple of weeks of his life i actually when i went through his bank statements um he was buying gallon bottles of mckellen scotch like every other day so it was clear to me, looking back, that there was just a lot of trauma. And as you and I both know now, it's nobody goes seeking a drug just to, you know. Just because. They're happy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm thrilled with my life. I'm yeah. just going to go shoot up because, right. you know, just what cause. could make me happier. Right. Um, so it's clearly, it's a painkiller. And I never bothered to get to the root of my dad's pain. And I think, you know, I don't know if I could have done anything to make him live longer or to make him be healthier. I have no idea. Right. All I know is that the thing that I would change now is the level of support that I offered. The right. one yeah. thing, yeah, the one thing that I would change is just letting him feel how loved and supported he was as opposed to you know, how judged and, and criminalized I was making him. But yeah, I had no idea until I started the podcast that you, if you detox from alcohol on your own, you can die. Um, you have to do it with the assistance of a doctor and quite often medication. So you should definitely check yourself into a hospital setting um, or find a detox clinic before you embark on that journey. Trust me, it's just, you just can't physically do it. Don't be yeah. a hero. It's, it's yeah. not worth yeah, it. Yeah, no, exactly. Don't be a hero. I'm a part of all these different Facebook groups and someone's like, I'm planning on detoxing home. They're like, no, 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 please go to a medical facility. Right. And it's like, this is why it's so important. Just the education because people who are in active addiction aren't actually realizing what they no. need. And that's why it's incumbent upon the family and friends to at least educate themselves to be like, hey, no, you can't do that. I will drive you to uh, 
question for you though, Chelsea, did you like, what was the conversation like if it ever happened, like between you and your dad regarding like his alcoholism? Like, was he defensive? Uh, Was he like, yes, I know I have an issue. I want help. Like, do you ever think he reached a point where he wanted to get help? I know it was very difficult, but did he ever have sort of have that awakening? Like it's really bad. What can I do? Or he just never reached that point. So it's, it's, interesting on a lot of levels there were times where we would talk about it and and alex i mean i began these conversations with him when i was a teenager Mm, wow um i actually found a jug of vodka that he hid in his bass drum right emptied it out wrote him a letter saying you're gonna die if you keep doing this um and then the next morning he was taken in on a dui um, the problem with that being in, you know, aside from all the obvious things, he drove professionally. He was a courier for Federal Express at the time. So you cannot have a DUI on a commercial driver's right. license. Right. So this impacted our family greatly. Um, so the duality of it is, is that my dad was a stand-up guy. Like you can be, you can be an amazing person and have exactly. it together in a lot of ways and not be, you know, scum on the bottom of someone's shoe as we tend to categorize addicts, Um, he was, he was just so in love with this substance because it gave him the feelings that he wanted to feel. So we would have conversations a lot. And in the beginning, it would be, you know, he would feel very ashamed and he would say, you know, I know that I have a problem. And yes, it was a matter of, I do want to stop. I just don't know how. And I'm, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer. Yeah. Um, and then toward the end of his life, it was a little bit more defensive. Like, you know, I'm 60 some odd years old. How long do you want me to live? And um, so at that level, I should have recognized, well, now it's a little bit deeper. Now it's, you know, who says, how long do you want me to live? We need to address the underlying issue. Right. So it, it kind of waffled back and forth between defensive and actually wanting to mm. make Which a I difference. think makes a lot of sense. Like that's yeah. what I've sort of learned. It's right. Recovery is not a linear line. And also, um, I believe we, when we originally spoke about this, there was a period of time where your father was abstinent and not drinking for a while. Four right? years. Four years. That's and a long time. Yeah. What, what do you think in that period happened that enabled him to not drink because the most that I think you and I have probably learned, I know me too, like the thing that I find most interesting that I think a lot of people have a misconception about is it, it like uh, recovery is a linear line, which is not. Some yeah. people are have a really, really good day and then some people have a bad day and then you can be sober for 10 years and then no longer like it's it's a roller coaster. So how do you think he was able to do it for the four years? What What do you think was sort of the magic trick on that? I wish that I knew and I wish that I could bottle it and sell it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, no pun intended. Yeah. I so I want to say that this his sobriety that time began maybe when I was about 12. Um, I am not 100 percent positive. I would venture to guess that things were very shaky uh, with my parents' marriage. And I would imagine that my mom probably said, listen, you have to try this or we can go no longer. Mm. My dad's biggest thing um, from the time I was a little, little kid, because my parents always had 
issues. Um, they were definitely much better than his friends. But when I was a little, little kid, my dad would always say, I don't want to be a part-time parent. Um, so I know that initially getting divorced really wasn't an option for him. He wanted our family to stay together right. as long as possible. Um, so I think that might have had something to do with it. Now, why that ultimatum stuck, I never completely explored with him. Yeah. But, you know, we were together a lot and we had eyes on him all the time in that period. And he really was fine um after a while it didn't even seem like it was a craving right and then um when i was about 16 or so he started playing again more steadily and in more uh, bar and restaurant settings and uh, weddings yeah so i think being back fully immersed in an environment where there's this temptation all around and you just want to be liked and again it's a social socially it's accepted thing yeah. And my dad always just wanted to be the life of the party. He just always wanted people to laugh with him. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was just too much temptation after a while and it never fully subsided. And P.S., the time that I wrote him that letter, that was when we found out that he was no longer sober. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's when you found out. Okay. Because he had just, he had been acting off for a yeah. few days and i knew my dad so well that to the point where when we would talk i could tell whether or not he had been drinking by the way he said hello mm -hmm. i could just you know just the know. timbre of his voice at that point yeah. um so yeah i had my suspicions and i went down to to the basement where he kept his drums and his music equipment and i just stood there looking for a second and i was like if i were an alcoholic where would i hide <laughs> Um, and then I was just like, oh, a bass drum would make a really stellar and see so that's, that's how close we were. I just knew. Um, just knew. Yeah. No, so. but I think that that's so like, I love breaking down all the sort of really shitty myths about addiction. And the first one that I love that you broke down in your first episode of the Sticky Eddie podcast was how amazing and present of a father your dad was. Always. So there's perception, especially of, of men, right? Oh, if you're an alcoholic or you do drugs and you're addicted, you're, you know, you could be abusive verbally, physically, you're not around. Your dad was present for you. Your dad was an amazing dad. He seemed to have a lovely relationship with your mom after they got divorced and was present. Yeah. Like, I think that that's an important narrative that needs to stick, not this narrative of like, there's absent, listen, there can be absentee fathers who don't do drugs or don't, aren't addicted to alcohol, right? So. Right. And, and to be honest with you, Alex, like not only was my dad an amazing dad, um, he was, an amazing father-in-law. I mean, my husband and he were also best buddies. They yeah. loved each other so much. And my, my grandson adored him. And that's one thing that's been um, especially hard this past year. His papa just had endless patience for him. And the pandemic has truly brought out, you know, all our, our best moods. Yes. <laughs> And so I think my son just misses having someone there who's just constantly yeah. um, patient with him and, and down for anything. And again, you know, my dad was a professional driver. He, you know, would never miss a day of work. I mean, he was an extremely hard worker. He, I say the word duality so much on my podcast, but he was really the epitome of that word mm. because he just had this addiction that he couldn't shake. 
um, and there was trauma in his life that he couldn't name um, and and wouldn't talk about. Yeah. But whatever it was, it just drove him into this this substance. And it's interesting to me that I don't suffer with it. I've always, you know, I'm not a dry person, but I'm not an alcoholic by any stretch. Right. Um, and I don't know why that is. That is the other mystery of addiction that I'm working on, you know, learning about as I move forward with the podcast. Why does it seem to cut around certain people and what is it in our DNA that leaves us more susceptible to numbing our pain this way as opposed to yeah no it it's interesting else. It's, it, it is really interesting because that was one of the first things I tried to look up after Reed passed um is addiction genetic or not and obviously I learned it's like 50 percent genetic and it's right. than everything else but no it's interesting that you raise that point because obviously you sort of even at a young age had your own sort of sense of trauma trying to take care of your dad and figure that out i i do find it interesting and i know they're always trying to do more research on like what is it about certain people that okay never mind the genetics but like what else is about it that uh for example me um just because i don't like the taste like i don't even drink at all right like what is it about me like there was no it, my my parents drink like it's just interesting what it is about some people and, and some people who don't but you were talking about your son and I wanted to ask about that because I think what I want to learn is like what are you going to teach your son about addiction right because he's also really young I think you were saying he's seven yeah what do you what are you able to talk about at this age like what does he know of his grandfather how he passed like how do you I'm not a, a parent yet myself so like how do you manage that saying the full truth and, and being honest and trying to educate what do you wait till later all that sort of stuff we try to uh and this is something that my dad did with me my dad even when i was an infant he never spoke in baby talk or you know he always and i think that's why we were such good friends on top of yeah. being father and daughter he just spoke to me like a, right. like i got it and that's something that i've done with my son um from the time he was little as well just speak to him like a human being i told my son um you know that papa had a substance abuse problem and i told him you know sometimes when we use too much of something when we drink a little too much wine um you know after a while it really starts to affect our bodies and you know unfortunately papa used a little too much over the years and it caught up with him and his body couldn't handle it anymore i don't know if that was 100 percent the right thing to do but because we're typically so honest with each other i didn't know any other way yeah um you know this was last year and he was only six so that's as far as i went um every couple of days for the first few days i asked him if he had any questions mm. if there was anything that he wanted to know um i made it totally okay for him to cry and you know we ordered some books about grief so i think going forward especially as he approaches you know adolescence i will just continue to ask him if he has any questions and i want to say probably when he's nine or ten is when i'll really start explaining to him what alcohol is what substances are how they can affect the body and what really they do 
to us um, because they're, you know, he's going to be a teenager one day. He is going to try pot yeah. and he is right. going to have a drink. It is not something that's just never going to, he's not a unicorn. Right. <laughs> um, so I just want him to be prepared and to recognize, you know, when something might be carrying him away. I always tell him um, at this age, tell me what's going on with you. Don't ever feel ashamed. I will always have your back as long as you're honest with me. We yeah. will, whatever it is, we'll figure it out together, but don't ever be ashamed to tell me anything because even if I'm upset about it, I'll always have your back. There's nothing that will ever change that. Um, so that, I mean, I'm a first time parent. He's my only, uh, he will be my only. And so I'm kind of muddling through this and doing the best I can as I go along, but in my head, looking back on the way my dad treated me, that was the best thing to do. Just always express to your kids how really honest, it's corny, but honesty is the best policy. Right. No, I, I think I think that that's special and that's important. And I, I find that interesting because people ask me, although I don't have kids, like, what are you going to tell your kids about Reed? And, you know, and I think what you just did is is perfect and i want to sort of model model off of it like it's it's being honest you know yeah showing that uh, hey you know if you have questions i'm here to answer it um being as honest as you can age appropriate and then when they're older being able to really kind of lay out hey like this is you know the truth this is because something that stuck with me is what david poses said is like you know the whole like just say no why are we teaching our kids just say no for no. kids to understand and learn and educate themselves and make the best estimated decision right like all these like critical thinking things which yeah. you will provide to your son and your son has at least a sort of a base knowledge now where he he knows okay like this is what happened that you know here could be the consequences but he know how much he loved his papa and, and his family and he was still a good person so I think starting those base blocks at a young age is really important. So no, I commend you for doing that. Thank you. And what you just said about David, um, I, I, I really wish, I don't know if he'll ever have time for this, but I wish that he could be like a school speaker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Because he says, you know, he relates the story about how this dare officer came into his school and, and told him, you know, about how, drugs have a numbing effect and um and then told a really visually inspiring story about um some kid who who had an adverse reaction to a drug and did something horrific to his own body because of it um so these scare tactics tactics are absurd and david's point really stuck with me um when he said you know how depressed he was at 10 years old right. and here's this dare officer standing in front of him and saying well this will numb you and make you, you feel nothing it. right and and little david is like oh fantastic i don't have to feel these these horrible feelings that make me so sad right that is one thing that i do with my son a lot i check in with him on his feelings especially um you know now that he's back in school in person for the first time after being home for a year at such a formative age i'm constantly asking him if he's okay it probably annoys the bananas out of him <laughs> um, but i think that's the most important thing because we know now that depression um, and childhood trauma and all of these adverse experiences are nine times out of 10 at the root 
of, right. of any yeah. addiction. Yeah. And so I would love to nip it in the bud and just make sure that my kids' emotions are healthy and taken care of. Because yep. that's the root problem, right? It's like exactly. people just talked about people aren't using drugs because they're happy. They're using it to numb. They're using it to decrease pain. It's a pain killer. So yeah. if you can right away, and that's why I think education, even at a young age, like sort of what you're doing with your son is so important, because at least from a young age, if they can understand, okay, this is what addiction is, like, I can talk to my parents, I can be sad, I can't, even if I mess up, I can tell them what's going on. They're less likely to deal with any issues in the future. And isn't that what we all want as humans and as parents and brothers and sisters? Exactly. And even, you know, I mean, that's, it's not the goal. It's not what we want for our kids. But even if my son did grow up to be someone who smoked pot on a regular basis, for whatever his reasons are, mm -hmm. I just, I need him to be safe. And I just need to know right. that he's supported and that he's in an environment where, you know, I, someone has his back. Right. That's something that I feel like is missing from a lot of these people who are suffering with addiction is that they just feel isolated and like no one has their back. And that's one thing, you know, if I could take back anything, I would totally say to my dad, look, I love you. Even if you never stop, I have your back. I, I just want you, you know, the reason I'm so annoying is because I want you to be around. But right. if that's not working, let's let's find another way because right. I missed out on, you know, a month and a half of hanging out with my dad at the end because I was angry. I mean, yeah. I had no idea what was going to happen, but I let my anger get the best of me. And, you know. I, um, it sucks. No, it does suck. But I, one thing that you said is like, I loved how, even when you were ticked off, right. You said, I love you. And he said, I love you, kiddo. That is so to me, grateful. that's everything. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I do the same thing in my family, no matter what, every time we get off the phone, we speak like five times a day. It's I love you. And it, it's the most important thing. And I think, you know, I'm a huge believer in that there is whatever you believe in god or whatever higher power i think they're watching over i know your dad is proud of you i know reed's proud of me and like they're they're taking care of us although not being here and it absolutely sucks um but i think about how much your dad has taught you even not being here right like how much you're able to do and accomplish and speak to people and meet people how how much i've been able to do and meet people and it's like that's what it's about, right? Because you're carrying on their legacy and knowing that, okay, I couldn't support them, but this is going to kick me into gear and now I'm going to support other people. Yeah, Alex. I mean, I, I think that you're a warrior. The things that you've done you. in, in seven, eight months worth of time is just unbelievable. I mean, I'm such a big fan of tapping into the human and humans Thanks. of addiction. And it's just, it's remarkable, but I feel my dad in so many things that I do. I talk yeah. to him all the time and I know that he answers me in his ways. Um, but can I ask you, because I know that this happens yeah. to me a lot. Have you had experiences with imposter syndrome since you've started on this oh, yeah. journey? <laughs> oh, a thousand, all the time. Honestly. Like who am I to be this crusader? Yeah, all the time. It's like I'm this white 25 year old person who is from Toronto, Canada, living in Washington, DC, speaking about addiction, having a podcast, not like it's, it's tough. And then I try to remind myself that the you and me are the target demographic yeah. you and me are, because we need to bring in the people like you and me who just are blissfully ignorant. That's what I keep on saying. Right. Um, my sister like said to me, she's like, 
I really realized like how blissfully ignorant I was. And I'm like, same. I, right. I check myself all the time and it's it's just, I, I feel it all the time. And then I realize like, if not the yous and the me's and all the cool people who are doing this stuff, like who else? Yeah. Who else? How's it going to change, right? How are we going to move anything forward? But all the time to answer your question. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not alone in that. No, listen, it's like, you know, it's, you know, but I, what I love too is like, and I know we talked about your writing and stuff, like, I think your writing and your storytelling, like, that's what it really is. It's like storytelling on a podcast and, and your ability yeah. to do that is super cool. And I felt like I was, as I told you, like right there with you while you were, especially that first episode and all the, all your other interviews and stuff. But um, I know we're, we're going to end the podcast, but I want to give you the opportunity. What's one piece of advice you have someone to listening who either might be suffering or have a family member suffering? Like, what do you advise them to do? What's your sort of best piece of advice that you can give them? My favorite thing um, as of late for some for the loved one of someone who is suffering, please explore harm reduction techniques. Um, this is my new favorite topic. There are so many ways to slowly introduce healthier habits to someone who might be suffering. You might not be able to do it alone. You might need um, a medical professional or a counselor um, or someone just with a little bit more experience, but please do look into levels and methods of harm reduction and let your loved one know you love them for a reason. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be trying, but just let them know that you're not shaming them, that even if they suffer with this affliction for the rest of their lives, you just want them to be safe. And for someone who is suffering, um, I think it's, it's, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, finding a community. If you feel judged by your immediate family and you don't have anyone in your, you know, nuclear circle, that you feel might be helpful to you and you're looking to perhaps explore harm reduction or, or go into full-on rehabilitation, find a community, you know, reach out to Alex or I, um, explore platforms like the Sticky Eddie podcast and the Albertus Project and find resources that can point you in the right direction. Don't be embarrassed. There's a reason why you're here. Yep. And there are people like Alex and I who just want to make sure that you don't end up a part of a horrific statistic. Um, your life is a value. You matter. Even if it's just to one person on the planet. I mean, I don't care who else my dad made a difference to. He mattered the most to me. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, obviously now I would do anything to save him. So I'm here to say that I would do anything to save the rest of you. And if you need that community, please reach out. Awesome, Chelsea. I really appreciate that. And preach it, preach it. <laughs> it's That's all it's about. It's about community. And no matter what you and I care, and we're here for anyone, I have people DMing me, I'm sure you have people who you speak to, you don't even know, right? It's, yeah. it's a community that is just there to be in your corner and be in your back pocket. So um, thank you for everything that you're yeah. doing. I'm so stoked that we're friends and we got to meet each other. Me too. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for you and all the stuff that you're doing to honor your dad. And, uh, no, it's, it's, you know, huge believer in everything happens for a reason. And I think we have very similar stories and now trying to do some good for the rest of the community. So thank you again for being on and we'll link all the sticky Eddie podcasts and all that fun stuff in the description. So everyone, 
Thanks for joining and make sure to uh, check out the Stigetti podcast. Thank you so much, Alex. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following the Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.